Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And Katie and I have had so much fun talking about royal scandals recently that we're going to talk about at least one more. This one is from the 20th century, though. So in 1936, Britain's King Edward VIII renounced his throne in order to marry an American divorcee named Wallace Simpson, and he was the only British sovereign ever to voluntarily resign the crown. So this is a big deal. Yeah, it forces his shy younger brother to become king, which ends up putting his eldest daughter in the line of succession. That becomes Elizabeth II. Um, and Edward and Wallace are shunned by the injured royal family. They travel the world, they hobnob with Nazis, and they become style icons. But there's a big question about their relationship, and that's with, is it a great love story? Did he give up his throne um, to marry the woman he loved, or is there something more tragic? So let's meet our major players. Bessie Wallace Warfield was born June 19, 1896 in Pennsylvania, but she grew up in Baltimore. And her birth was a bit of a scandal because she was born only seven months after her parents' marriage. So do the math. Yeah, and they were from a fairly elite family, and uh, society definitely cared about that kind of thing. Her father died when she was only five months old, though, and her mother had to rely on handouts from a wealthy relative. Um, she grew up in Maryland and attended the Oldfield School and dumped her first name, and I kind of love this quote. She said that so many cows are called Bessie, so she goes by Wallace instead. So she's part of high society because she's born into it, but she's not because she doesn't have the money. And this really bugs her. So she needs to find a way in, and she decides the way in is marriage. And she marries Earl W. Spencer, a Navy pilot, in 1916, but it's a complete disaster from the start. Her husband was an alcoholic, and he was very moody, and she ends up leaving him. She has a short affair after that and lives in Virginia for a time. Uh, but after her divorce, she has another longer-lasting affair with the then-married Ernest Simpson, who was a U.S.-born Brit. And she writes to her mother, I really feel so tired of fighting the world all alone and with no money. So it sounds like she kind of settles for him. Well, and I, ha I have sympathy for that sentiment, but they end up getting married in 1928, and they live near London. But later, she meets a more illustrious personage. That's Edward, Prince of Wales. And she meets him at a house party given by his mistress at the time, Lady Thelma Furness. So she's 35 years old and married. But Wallace has something seductive about her. Something that draws this prince to her. And who is he? Well, this is the story of Edward. He was born June 23rd, 1894, and he has pretty much the longest name ever. <laughs> Edward Albert Christian George Andrew Patrick David. So his friends called him David. And he becomes Prince of Wales in 1911. He's really not suited to his position. It exhausts him. He feels isolated. And he's a frivolous young man. He's into drinking and womanizing. And clothes. And he likes clothes, yeah. He he at one point writes to his longtime mistress and friend before his, 
his mistress before he meets Wallace. If only the British public really knew what a weak, powerless misery their press-made national hero was, they would have a nasty shock and be not only disappointed, but damned angry, too. And he was a national hero. He was incredibly popular. And partly that's because in the 1920s, he undertook extensive foreign tours in the empire to represent his father because he wasn't allowed to serve in the army. Yeah, as crown prince. He's, they don't want to put him into the direct line of danger. But yeah, he, he becomes very popular with his people and he's a, you know, their bright young prince. He's also during the twenties having a lot of affairs with married women. Um, and a, kind of a weird side note that is really not related to anything here. He's somewhat of an authority on horticulture, especially roses. His father gave him a, a refuge, Fort Belvedere, and he entertained his friends there. And he had a, he had an unconventional set of friends. They weren't drawn from just the same aristocracy that generations of monarchs had been hanging out with. They were more like the high society. Right. So we've got this picture, you know, champagne and roses and clothes and lots of women, but soon there's only one woman. So after Wallace and Edward meet, They're just friendly for a while, but by 1934, Edward is a regular visitor to the Simpson home, and their relationship is probably consummated around this time, not to be too detailed. Yeah, and she tells her aunt, it requires great tact to manage both men. I shall try to keep them both. So she's got her husband. (laughs) Having your cake and eating it too, Wallace Simpson. And it's not a discreet affair at all. They really flaunt it, and... You know, it was accepted that the king or um, the prince would have a mistress, but it would be somebody who he would visit from time to time and and certainly not parade about in public and at public events. Well, and not a married woman who also has another ex-husband. Yeah, Um, but Edward becomes obsessed with Wallace, and she's kind of got a bullying personality and he likes it. She makes him put on her shoes for her. Yeah, he's into that. So the affair was kept out of most of the British papers until the very end of Edward's kingship. Uh, It was just a suppressed story, but it is a scandal in America and a lot of the continent where... Oh yeah, in every paper. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the original British royal tabloid scandal. And Edward is proclaimed king at the beginning of 1936 when his father dies. And around the same time, Wallace sues for divorce in July of 1936. So upon her divorce, of course, comes the next question. Will they marry? Edward wants to marry Wallace, and he tries to get his family's acceptance, and they're not going for it at all. Also against him is the Church of England, of which he's head, (laughs) and most of the politicians in Britain and the Commonwealth. His only notable ally is Churchill, who's out of power at the time. And um, another sort of side note, Churchill has a reputation as being uh, an alcoholic. A bit of an alcoholic. Yeah. Yeah, but... His biographer said probably the only occasion when he addressed the House of Commons under the influence of alcohol, not drunk, but kind of tipsy, was during the abdication crisis when he's actually howled down. And there are discussions of a morganatic marriage pursued, which is something we talked a little bit about in the Madame de Maintenon um, podcast. Yeah, a marriage of, of social inequals. Right, where she wouldn't become queen, but they would be together. And their children wouldn't 
inherit rights. Right. But Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin tells Edward that is absolutely not happening. It's not an option. And Edward wants to also address his people through the radio, pleading for their support. And the that's not going to happen either. It's not allowed. It's simply not done. <laughs> he, he did write a speech, though. And in it, he wrote, It has taken me a long time to find the woman I want to make my wife. Yeah, for real, right? Without her, I have been a very lonely man. So this is from his banned speech. But the whole thing really explodes in the press and parliament on December 3rd. And on the following day, the word abdication starts appearing in the papers. And before you start to get too sympathetic toward the prince for his, you know, romantic fairy tale love. We should talk a little bit about some of the people who were suffering during this whole thing. Yeah. His brother, known as Bertie to his family, the future George VI, is really shy and he's fought with a stammer. He's been forced to write with his right hand, even though he's a lefty. And he's also really happy where he is in life. He's married. He has two young daughters and he's terrified by the prospect of becoming king. And his wife, Elizabeth, told her mother-in-law, Queen Mary, that she prayed every day for the king to see reason and not abandon his people. But as much as George didn't want to become king, a lot of people thought he would be much better at it than Edward was. Even his own father had once said, I pray God that my eldest son will never marry and that nothing will come between Bertie and Lilibet on the throne. And Lilibet is, of course, Elizabeth. now Elizabeth II. Um, but still, George isn't happy with the prospect of becoming king. And he later records that when he learned his brother would abdicate, he I broke down and sobbed like a child. So this is a tremendous strain on him. And he's he's horrified by the duty he's about to have to assume. But the king makes his final decision December 10th, 1936, and he submits his abdication. I, Edward, do hereby declare my irrevocable determination to renounce the throne for myself and my descendants. And the instrument of abdication was endorsed by Parliament on December 11th. And that evening, Edward finally did get to have his radio broadcast he had wanted pre-abdication. And he tells his people, I found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. A plea for sympathy, yeah. if I've ever heard one. And uh, that night, he, he disappears to the wind, he goes to the continent, and lives with friends in Austria, discreetly apart from Wallace, while her divorce is finalized. And Wallace herself does not have a great reputation, and at the time, she was perceived as a schemer. But was she? Because a document that was kept in the private papers of Stanley Baldwin for years includes a declaration that's signed by her before the abdication that said she'd abandon any interest in marrying his majesty. It wasn't even what she was trying to get, or at least she signed a paper saying that wasn't what she was trying to get. Even in Edward's abdication speech, he mentions that the the other person who is as closely involved in this as I am has urged me to the last to not go through with it. So it, it seems as though she was trying to talk him down from actually giving up his throne. Well, and she had some qualms about him. She was disturbed by how clingy he was. And the quote that really struck us was when she wrote to an uncle and said, how can a woman be a whole empire to a man? And I think that's a quote that really haunts their married life together, which 
after this whirlwind courtship and abdication goes on for a long time, decades. So what's next? Edward is named the Duke of Windsor by his brother, who's now George VI. And Wallace's divorce is finalized. They're married June 3rd, 1937, by a Church of England clergyman at the Chateau de Condé in France. And even though Wallace is now Duchess of Windsor, the title of Royal Highness is not extended to her. That's Um, a big deal. It is a big deal. It's something that really bothers Edward for the rest of his life. Um, They live in France for the next two years and visit other countries, most famously visiting Germany. Infamously, perhaps. Yes, infamously. (laughs) Um, They're actually honored by Nazi officials in October of 1937 and have an interview with Hitler. Um, The pro-German sympathies of the couple end up becoming the subject of an FBI investigation in 1941 and also the subject of a later podcast. So we're going to sort of skip over this Nazi period. So we'll jump ahead to 1940, when their pro-Nazi sympathies have become so obvious that Churchill has basically exiled them to the Bahamas. The Duke is now the governor there. So they stay in the Bahamas pretty much for the duration of the war, returning to France in 1945. And they took up a life as members of the international set, a very flashy celebrity kind of life that was reported in every single paper. Time magazine even named Wallace Simpson their first woman of the year. They'd only had man of the year since then because she was so talked about. Yeah, and pugs and platinum are how I think Katie and I like to define them. She Uh, had 11 pugs at some point, and they had really cool names, Imp and Disraeli. Yeah, she'd give them homemade dog biscuits and let them cuddle up on her bed with her. Uh, She was also really into clothing and jewelry and wore flashy stuff, big jewels and lots of yellow gold. But interestingly, she banned uh, anything but platinum from her dinner parties. I guess it seemed fancier to her. And while they were very rich, Edward in his later years became very concerned about their finances. He argued with his brother about his annual allowance and refused to live in the United States as a private citizen because he didn't want to deal with the taxes. Yeah, I think that's to be expected for someone who was born to be a king and who was king. And, and living like a king. <laughs> has to settle for you know living like a very wealthy man instead of a king. And Edward's personality, not just his fortune, has also changed since the abdication. He becomes, as his biographer Philip Ziegler says, reactionary to the point of caricature, even though before the war he'd had many of the same values as conservatives. Yeah, he's he's kind of embittered by his situation. And he's very dependent on Wallace, too. He's a very dependent husband. And as we said earlier, still outraged over the fact that she can't style herself as royal highness. Right, and she's not received as as she would be usually. So because of some of this, he only makes short visits to England. He goes back for the funeral of his brother, George VI, and he goes back for the funeral of his mother, Queen Mary. And he even writes upon Queen Mary's death to Wallace, What a smug, stinking lot my relations are. And you've never seen such a seedy, worn-out bunch of old hags most of them have become. So bitter, bitter words. Very bitter. He's never gotten over his family's unwillingness to accept Wallace as one of their own. The Queen Mum always hated her, but her daughter, Elizabeth II, eventually attempted a reconciliation with Edward near the end of his life. And he was very ill 
he was in bed. Dying his, of throat cancer. Right. And his doctors had taken care to cover up you know, some of the tubing and... Machinery that he was using to live. Yes. And he was told not to get up because he was so ill. But when she came in the room, he rose and he bowed to her. And she was very touched by that display of respect. So Edward dies of his throat cancer on the 28th of May, 1972, in Paris, and is buried near Windsor. And the Duchess spent her remaining time um, in isolation and in increasingly poor health. She's kind of lost without the Duke, it seems. And she dies in 1986 and is buried behind her husband at his request in the Royal Cemetery at Frogmore, also near Windsor Castle. But that's not the end of our story, because several years ago, right after the Queen Mother died, there some new information came some out. documents were released. Right, that said maybe Wallace was two-timing Edward during their courtship. Actually, there's no maybe about it. No. She was. <laughs> so government papers from the time of abdication were subject to a 30-year rule of secrecy, you know, protecting people who are involved. And then some were considered so sensitive that it was decided they wouldn't be released for 100 years. But after the Queen Mother died, um, she was sort of the only living um, person who was very much involved in the in the documents. After she died, it was decided the papers could come out. And they it turns out that both Simpson and Edward were under surveillance by a special branch of the Metropolitan Police. And while she was married, pursuing her affair with Edward, she also had a third lover named Guy Trundle, a married car salesman who lived in Mayfair. And he was a kept man. She gave him payments and also expensive presents. And Edward had absolutely no idea. Wallace went to great lengths to conceal his existence. There was a lot on the line, yeah. I understand. So this puts a little bit of a damper, I'd say, on the on the fairy tale romance. And it also shows just how complex their relationship was. Right. Biographies of Wallace seem to either go the way of being really salacious and gossipy or whitewashing the entire thing. So, so it's just a grand romance. Right. And it's, and it's hard to find that, that middle bit. Definitely. So today we're starting a new feature in our podcast, Listener Mail. To, to start it off right, we're going to start with an actual real piece of mail, came with a stamp on it, and arrived at our desks from Stormy in Scotland. She sent us a postcard of St. Margaret's Chapel in Edinburgh Castle, which is where um, Mary Queen of Scots gave birth to her son. So Stormy has officially raised the bar. So if you'd like to send us listener we'd mail, we'd love to get more postcards. We love real mail. <laughs> And if you'd like to learn more about the royals and their various scandals, please come to our homepage and search for How Royalty Works at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. (laughs) 